So last time I was up here, I think it was back in October, we were looking at Ephesians chapter 5, and we spent a couple of weeks looking at the first six verses of Ephesians chapter 5 that start off with chapter 5 verse 1, where it says, be imitators of God as beloved children. And we went on then to look at and expound and, and see how the Apostle Paul plays that out and kind of extrapolates that and what that means for us as Christians, what it means to be imitators of God as his children. And we'll do a little bit of review on that in just a minute. But for tonight, what we want to do is I'd like to go, as you see in your bulletin, to Ephesians chapter 5, the next set of verses, verses 7 through 14. And we want to talk about darkness and light tonight. These verses follow what we saw first in Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul is admonishing the Ephesian believers to be imitators of God. What does that look like in your everyday life? How does that play itself out? What does it mean to be a true imitator of your heavenly Father? What I'd like to do in starting off tonight is just go ahead and read the first six verses again of Ephesians chapter 5, just by way of review, and then we will get into verses 7 through 14. Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, therefore, and remember, that goes back to chapter 4, just kind of forget about the chapter division there, go back to chapter 4, verse 32, where he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, just as you have been forgiven in Christ, you be imitators of your heavenly Father by walking in love and forgiving one another. So he says, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Remember we talked about what that looked like. Christ's love is a forgiving love. And that plays itself out in how we then relate to others within the local body here. Verse 3 says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So we read in verses 1 through 5 what it looks like first as far as what we should avoid if we are going to be imitators of God, if we are going to live and act as his children in this world. That brings us to verse 7 where we're going to pick up tonight. He continues, Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. What we want to see tonight is merely a continuation 
of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, where Paul says, be imitators of God. And first thing he says in being imitators of God is there are things in your Christian life, in your walk with Jesus Christ, that you are to avoid. When we come to chapter 5, verses 7 through 14, as Paul goes into this short little segment about darkness and light, what we see then is a continuation of this thought to be imitators of God, but now he is going to commands. If you are going to be imitators of God, there are commands here that stand in contrast with the things to avoid in verses 3 through 6. And what we're going to do here tonight, or maybe over the course of the next couple of weeks, is to look at four clear commands that if we are going to please God and honor our Savior, Jesus Christ, in our lives, these are four commands to follow if we are going to be imitators of God. So we're going to start with the first one tonight. The first command is actually more or less a negative command, and it flows out of verses 3 through 6. And the first command that Paul gives us is, Do not be partakers with the sons of disobedience in their evil or sinful practices. We see this in verse 7, where he says, Therefore, do not become partakers with them. Now, if we're going to pull that verse out and just look at it on its own, it would make no sense. Therefore, well, what? Okay, who is this them that he is talking about? But when we take it in the full context of chapter 5 and what we've read so far, what we see there is this command flows from what he's already written, in that believers are to be imitators of God by forgiving each other first and by walking in love, going back to verse 1, and then starting in verse 3, that they are to avoid the sins as professors of Jesus Christ, they are to avoid the sins that are not proper. First of all, like we saw in verse 4, sins of the tongue. No filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. Those things are out of place. They are not proper for the believer. He says, avoid sins of the tongue. He says in verse 5, to avoid sexual immorality. You may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, and then he goes on to say this person has no place in the kingdom of Christ and God, The one whose life is characterized by sexual sin shows that they don't really know Christ. So he says, avoid sexual immorality. And then also in verse 5, he says, or who is covetous, that is an idolater. This could be in the realm of our sexuality or really elsewhere. He says, avoid covetousness. The one who has a habit of this or who is like this shows and testifies by their life, by their inward attitude of covetousness, that they do not know Christ. These sins characterize, as we see in verse 6, the sons of disobedience, and they call down the wrath of God. Where he says, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And so Paul, as he moves in now to his next thought in verse 7, His first command to us is he said, if you want to be an imitator of God, if you want to live a life that is pleasing to Jesus Christ, he says, do not be a partaker with the sons of disobedience in their sinful practices. Because of all the things that he has written about in verses 1 through 6, Christians should be imitators of God, in this case, in what they avoid, which obviously involves direct participation in these sins. He's been very clear about that. Watch what you say. 
Watch what you do in the area of, of your sexual conduct. And be careful, be wary of covetousness because it leads to all other kinds of sorts of evil. So we should, as Christians, be wary, be very careful, avoid being directly involved in these things, but avoidance also involves allowing the influence of those who participate in these things. Many times avoidance doesn't look like just simply staying away. I mean, it does. But also, who or what are we allowing to be an influence in our lives? Who are we allowing to speak into our lives? Who are we spending our time with? Who are we listening to? Or what are we listening to? If this world around us is allowed to have its way, it would push us further and further and further towards the line of these sins. And as Christians, if we are going to avoid being partakers with these, we need to stay away from these influences. Influences that would push us towards sinful speech. Influences that would push us towards sexual immorality. Influences that would push us or encourage us to embrace an attitude of covetousness. And so for this reason, when Paul gets into his next passage here, in verse 7, his first command to us is, if you're going to be pleasing to the Lord, do not be partakers with the sons of disobedience in these sinful practices. Avoid them. It's another reminder that serves to set up the rest of his commands in verses 7 through 14. So as we read on then in verses 8 and 9, we see a second command. He says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. His second command to us is walk as children of light. There's very important thoughts here. There's some very important ideas. The first being when he says walk as children of light, well, what does that mean? He's already admonished us to walk um, and be imitators of our Heavenly Father as beloved children, but now he's telling us be like children of light. What does he mean? Well, obviously, he's not talking about purely just physical light like sunlight. But it is a metaphor that Scripture uses over and over and over again that Paul likes to use in his letters. This light, really, as Paul writes about it, has two aspects. The first is an intellectual aspect, or a mental aspect. It has to do with our thinking, with our knowledge, what we believe to be true. And to see an example of this, we could go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. And again, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, and he's right in the middle of a thought. But in verse 4, he jumps in. He says, in their case, and there, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, he's talking about those who have rejected the gospel, unbelievers. In their case, the God of this world, talking about Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and what we see elsewhere in the New Testament is when he's talking about he has blinded their minds or blinded their eyes to, from seeing the light of the gospel. He's talking about a, an intellectual darkness. The unbeliever in and of themselves cannot understand the gospel or the truth of God's word. Light here intellectually represents ignorance 
and falsehood. But it's not just a simple ignorance. It is a willing ignorance. This is not simply, well, I just didn't know the facts. But because of my choice, because of my natural bent against the Word of God, against God Himself, because of my state of rebellion, I fail to understand because I don't truly want to. This is a willing ignorance that pertains to what a person knows or believes. And when we reject the light, we plunge ourselves into this willing ignorance. Okay, so light has that intellectual aspect, okay, meaning that we truly understand the Word of God, that we understand the Gospel. It also has a moral aspect. If you want to go with me back to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, verse 12 says, The night is far gone. Again, there's your picture of darkness. The light is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And then he goes on, if we would read more, which we're not going to tonight, but if you want to go back and read more, he goes on and talks about these are what the works of darkness are that you need to put off, which sound very similar to what he's writing in Ephesians chapter 5. And these are the works of light. Hey, but the point is that this light is not just an intellectual light, is in understanding, comprehending, comprehending the truths of the gospel. It's also a there's also a moral dimension. Hey, in that light represents what is good and true, and the darkness represents sin. Hey, whereas the intellectual aspect of light pertains to what we know and believe, the moral aspect shows itself in how we think and in, then in how we act because of how we think. And these two work together. We could say that the intellectual darkness that the unbeliever is in, their rejection of the light, causes them to live in moral darkness. But we also know, based on what Scripture says, that the lack of understanding, the lack of comprehending the light, the rejection of the light, the embracing of darkness, comes from the moral darkness that is within us. Bible calls us that, 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 that sin nature. Okay, so the intellectual causes the moral, but the moral causes the intellectual. But Paul says, you were once darkness, but now you're light. So walk as children of light. Everyone who belongs to God walks in light, both intellectually and morally. One of my favorite passages on this is in 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to flip there and read that. 1 John 1, 5 through 7. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And there's our picture, light and darkness. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Pretty clear there. Take that back to Ephesians 5. Walk as children of light. If you're not, you're walking in darkness and you are a liar. You're not practicing the truth. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us 
from all sin. So it's very clear here. If we take that back to Ephesians 5, where Paul says, walk as children of light, this is a very significant command. Because everyone who belongs to God, their life is characterized by walking in the light. But to understand this more fully, I want to look at what Paul says previously in verse 8. He says, at one time, you were darkness. And there's a contrast here. He's commanding them to walk in light because that's what children of God do. But he says, at one time before you were light, you were darkness. This is a past condition. He's very clear. No longer exists. At one time you were darkness, but you're not anymore. But what he's telling us is that before we came to Christ, our total existence, our being as well as our behavior, was characterized by this darkness that was the opposite of light. What's interesting to me is if you read this, you look back at it very closely, there's not a preposition here, like in or of. He doesn't say you were in darkness, for example. He doesn't say you were of darkness. No, I think it's significant in that he says you were darkness. Your very being epitomized the darkness. That is what you were. There was no other aspect to your life other than darkness. It's not that you were deceived, although we were to a certain extent, or that you were unwillingly and forcefully oppressed. You were not a victim of Satan's system. No, we were contributors to it. We were willing participants in the darkness. We were not merely in sin, but our very nature, our very being was characterized by it. So I want to take a minute here and just look a little bit more at this darkness that Paul is talking about so that we can more fully understand what we are to come out of or what we have been brought out of, maybe more accurately, and what we are to avoid. This darkness we see elsewhere in the scriptures is the work of Satan. I'm going to go back to John chapter 8. John 8, starting in verse 39. Jesus says, they, talking about the religious leaders, answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. So they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. In effect, he's saying, if you were children of God, you would walk in the light, but you refuse to. If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he, God the Father, sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Notice again, that is willing, that darkness. He doesn't say you just don't understand. You're just not enlightened yet. No, you can't bear it. You won't have it. You refuse to see it. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. 
When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And what Jesus is making very clear here is that if you're not of God, you're of your father, the devil. Hey, and this darkness that he talks about, which again, he emphasizes the willingness of that darkness and the participation of it. This is the work of Satan. He says, you do X, Y, Z because that's what your father did. That is his work. And like father, like son. Not only is this darkness the work of Satan, but it is the domain of Satan. It lies under his authority. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul, talking about who we are now in Christ, says he has delivered us, talking about Christ, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. A lot of times the New Testament speaks of darkness and light in terms of kingdoms. Why is that? Because a kingdom has a king. The king of light, the king of righteousness is Jesus Christ. The king of darkness, the ruler of darkness, is Satan. If we stay in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Paul is speaking here in terms of authority, and he makes it very clear that it is Satan himself who exercises authority over this system of darkness. Back to the book of 1 John, this time chapter 5 and verse 19. Verse 19 says, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one lies in the power of Satan himself. And the point here is that one of the greatest lies that Satan tells is the idea that a person apart from God that exists and tries to live independently of their creator is actually free. That was the first lie that he told Eve in the garden. When he said, did God say... And Eve said, yes, this is what God said. And Satan said, you won't die. God knows that when you eat the fruit, you will be like him. You can be God. You can be free of all of these constraints. You can decide for yourself what is right and what is wrong. You don't have to listen to him. It's the original lie. But the fact is that the unbeliever, while they perceive themselves to be free, is actually totally bound and imprisoned by Satan through sin. They are such a slave of sin. They're completely the opposite of free. They're such the slave of sin that they don't even realize that they are a slave. And that's the best kind of slave, right? A slave that you don't even have to coerce or order around, but that just does your will because that's what they want to do and that's what they do by nature. So the unbeliever is brought under the domain of Satan, this kingdom of darkness. The unbeliever thinks they are free only because what they want to do so closely agrees with what their father the devil wills. So this darkness where Paul says, you were once darkness, 
is the work of Satan. It's under the domain or the authority of Satan. It brings God's penalty. Thirdly, we see in Romans chapter 1 that because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. If we go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We see that this darkness rightfully brings about God's wrath upon those who are characterized by that. And this darkness coming out of that, talking about the wrath of God, this darkness that Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 5 leads ultimately to eternal darkness. Eternal separation from God in the place called hell. You see, those who reject Christ, who reject the light and choose to rather live in darkness, do so because they are content with that darkness. In John chapter 3, a very familiar passage. John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. Jesus says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is the biggest issue when it comes to the darkness. Again, you were darkness. You weren't in it. You were not of it. I mean, we were. But more specifically, this is who you were. This is what you wanted to be. Jesus says those who reject the light do so because they love darkness rather than light. Because if they come to the light, they're going to be exposed for what they are. And darkness and light cannot coexist. And because they choose those who are in darkness and who willingly reject the gospel and choose to remain in that darkness, because they choose darkness rather than light, they will forever have darkness rather than light. In the place that the Bible calls hell. And so the contrast that Paul makes with this command is you are Christians, now walk in the light. You have been freed from these things. You are now no longer darkness, you are light. You've been freed from Satan's dominion. You've been freed from his kingdom. You've been freed from the wrath of God. You now know life rather than eternal darkness. Why would you go back to these deeds and enslave yourselves to them again? So he says, avoid these things. And you avoid these things by walking as children of light. We are now light in the Lord. We looked at Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. You once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. He has delivered you, like we saw, from the kingdom of darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of His marvelous light. And now since we are light, this is to be worked out in the way that we live. Notice he says, walk as children of light. Again, that word walk is a metaphor for this is how you live now. 
This is how you navigate through life. Not as darkness, but as light. It's to be worked out in the way that you live. And he doesn't just say that and say, okay, now go figure it out. But he gets very specific. He says, walk as children of light in verse 8. And then in verse 9, he says, the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. So there's three things here that he wants them to know that characterize a walk in light. The first is goodness. The word here that is translated in our Bibles as good refers to a moral excellence. It is goodness in nature and effectiveness. In our English language, we might, if you would say, if you'd use the word decency. What is decent? Walk in what is decent and good, morally excellent. The usage of good here also can point to what that which is willingly and sacrificially done for others. For example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15, where he writes again, he says, Seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So goodness here, walking in light, is shown in an embrace of what is good, in an embrace of what is decent, and also in doing good as we have opportunity to other people. He says the fruit of the light is found in what is good and also in what is right, in what is righteous. This is talking about an intrinsic morality. Those who have been made righteous by God are commanded to live righteously. We see this in Romans chapter 6, verse 13, where Paul writing to the Roman believers, he says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. And then verse 14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What does this righteousness look like? Very simply, it's a righteousness here that points back to the righteousness of Christ. Now we know that He is God, and we could never ever live lives that are holy in the same way that He is. But what this points us to is our lives should as much as humanly possible, look like Jesus. We're to live like him, we're to think like him, we're to act like him, we're to treat others in the way that he treated them. 1 John chapter 2, verse 29 says, Everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Now we know that this, is not, this can never be a perfectly parallel righteousness to the way that Jesus lived. In fact, even earlier in the book of 1 John, says if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. All of us, even as Christians, still sin. We can never be perfectly righteous in the same way that our Heavenly Father is, but our lives ought to run a parallel to that. It ought to be the general pattern of our lives that we live and think and act like Jesus did. And when we mess up, when we sin, when we fail... We confess that sin, we do everything that we can if we need to to make it right with whoever we have wronged, and we press on, endeavoring to live more righteously. So again, Paul is not just saying, 
go, you know, walk as children of light, figure it out. No, embrace what is good, live righteously, don't let those old sins have dominion over you, but rather distance yourselves from them. And the third thing he says, the fruit of the light is found in truth. This word truth points to honesty, reliability, trustworthiness, and integrity. It's a contrast to the old hypocritical, deceptive, and false ways that were our life of darkness. As I heard somebody even just this week say, said live in such a way so that when somebody asks you what's going on, you don't have to lie. That's truth. That is living a life. That is walking in the light. That is a life of integrity. And again, it's not as if our lives will ever be devoid completely of sin, this side of heaven. But again, what is your general pattern? What is your bent? What is your purpose? What is your desire? Where you find sin in your life, where the light exposes, the light of the word of God exposes sin, what do you do then? Do you just leave it, walk away, turn your back, that's fine? Or do you take measures to deal with that sin? You see, without these fruits, without goodness and righteousness and truth, there is no evidence that we are children of light. Matthew chapter 7, verses 16 through 20. We'll take a minute to read this. Jesus says, warning his disciples about those who will try to deceive them, he says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And then if we continue on to verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And he's very clear elsewhere that the will of his Father is that his disciples go and bear much fruit. Without these fruits, we have no evidence. And as children of light, if we are to obey this command to walk as children of light, if we truly have, or if we truly once were darkness, but are now light because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we are commanded that these things would characterize our lives. Hey, first, that we would not be partakers in the works of darkness, that characterize the children of darkness. Avoid these things. And secondly, not just avoid, but walk then as children of the light. Now we said there are four commands here in these verses, but we've come to two of them and I'm seeing it's almost seven o'clock. So what we're going to do is we're going to put this on hold and we'll look at the second two commands next week. But before we do that, hey, before we dismiss, I just want to go back and first speak to the believers here. Again, this is nothing that is cryptic. There is no deep secrets, deep mystical commands here to the Christian life. It's very simple. Be imitators of God. If you profess to know Christ, be an imitator of God as beloved children. Walk in love and here's how you do it. Be forgiving. 
Live at peace with your brothers and sisters in Christ as much as possible. Avoid being partakers with those who participate in the works of darkness and walk as a child of light in goodness and righteousness and truth. To those who are here tonight who may still be children of darkness, you have never come to the point in your life where you have recognized your sin and your need for the Savior. I would plead with you tonight that before you go, that you'd come talk to me or someone else and let us show you how you can be free from the domain of Satan, how you can be free from the wrath of God that hangs over your head because of your sins and how you can know Jesus Christ and trust in him for salvation and be forgiven and know life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the time that we have had in your word tonight. I pray, Father, that you would help all of us tonight here, Father, who profess to know Christ. You would help us to walk as children of light, Father. That you would keep us free from those things that characterize the children of darkness. Father, that by your grace you would help us to walk as children of light in goodness and righteousness and truth. And Father, to those who may be here tonight who don't know you through your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray, Father, that you would convict them of their sin, that you would convict them of their need for a Savior, and that you would help them, Father, to believe that Jesus died for their sins and that they would trust in him and his work on the cross and in his resurrection for salvation from those sins and that they would truly know you through your Son, that you would grant them a heart of repentance. Father, we trust these things to you and we pray, Father, that you would bless us as we all go from this place, we go about our week. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.